Okay, how to introduce Matt Wall. I decided that the only way to do this properly is to do one unedited first take and use that as my introduction because that's how Matt writes his poems. And so I'm doing this for you, Matt, even though you didn't even ask me to. I'm really nervous. <laughs> Here goes. So who is Matt Wall? Matt is a poet who lives in LA. That's the simple version. As you will hear, he does a lot more than that. He's an editor and a publisher. He's a podcaster and a YouTuber. He makes music. He's made movies. He writes fiction as well as poetry. And he makes his living from doing all of these things. As he will be the first to tell you, he's not everyone's cup of tea. And he's actually one step ahead of you there because his podcast is in fact called the I Hate Matt Wall Poetry Podcast. And I would say that about 50% of the time, I disagree with his takes quite a bit. Um, more on that after the interview. What I will say to introduce Matt is that at first, I was a little bit scared of him. And as we got into back when he interviewed me, our correspondence did not exactly get off to a great start, but we got past it. And now we chat pretty regularly. And most of the time we are talking about this show because he's a devoted listener to Poetry Says. And uh, this still amazes me, but he seems to really enjoy getting to hear about the Australian poetry scene. I say amazes me because as a poet in the US, there is basically no expectation to care about any other scene than your own. But Matt does listen and he writes me lovely notes after he has listened to the latest episode. The other day after he listened to the episode with Ken, he wrote to me and he said, what is it like to talk to so many legends? <laughs> He's like, does it suck? <laughs> I'm like, no, it really doesn't suck. It's, it's fantastic. The other thing about Matt, as you will hear, is that he is really in touch with his own anger. So I know that some people listen to Poetry Says to sleep. <laughs> and uh, Look, I, I had a podcast, which up until very recently I listened to only so I could go to sleep and like if that's why you're listening then I'm I'm really happy with that like that's the best thing in the world I think like sleep is very important but what I will say about this episode is this might not be the most relaxing bedtime listening for you at certain points but the great thing about this conversation which has been true anytime I've been able to speak to someone who's so far outside my local scene is that we can get into it about topics that are not really that polite to ask locals about. So in this conversation, I ask Matt about money because Matt, as I said, makes his money from his art. And we talk about topics like the death of the rock star poet, how there are just no poets who can draw a crowd anymore 
and really get people excited. This is one of Matt's contentions. And uh, possibly unsurprisingly, we get into one of Matt's most hated topics, which is this question of writing poetry in meter and rhyme, which Matt is totally against. He hates it. Uh, I'd say that part in particular is not safe for work. That was that was my introduction. I don't know. Um, scrolling up to look at my potential titles here, I've got Matt Wall is sick of being angry, lighting a bush on fire. I was kind of joking, obviously. <laughs> maybe that's uh, maybe that's a good one. But I think I like is sick of being angry. Yeah, I'm not sure. Anyway. Um, that was my intro. I'm going to go back and take out any of the more heinous mouth noises, but apart from that, I'm not going to edit it. Oh God, here is Matt Wall. Because I always end up having to do um, apology episodes. Like <laughs> every like third week, I'm like, oh, I really should like apologize to everybody who I pissed off the last couple of weeks. Well, I I wasn't actually going to start here, but I just wanted to say how I guess not attacked, but like seen I felt when you were talking about how poets get published in journals and then they don't promote the journal; they just mm-hmm quietly sort of hide yeah and i was like i mean i think there's an australian side to that for me where it's like you just big noting yourself in any way is kind of not as acceptable as maybe it is over there but i was like oh god i've totally done that um yeah like it's funny because i did a thing on this too where i felt like there were people who felt attacked who I wasn't talking about kind of thing and all that stuff so you were you were right like it's it's such a it's such an excellent point to be like yeah you you know the the editor has done all this work to get you in the journal and they're basically doing this at a cost to them yeah um and if you know the least you could do is to just say hey maybe read this yeah like honestly the thing that's funny about that is today i on instagram one of the guys in um i'll shout him out here adam crawford who's been in a couple issues of the blood rag went down to long beach for some punk show and he took a bunch of blood rags and was like taping them up on buildings and stuff and putting them in the bathroom of the bar and all this stuff and he was like filming all this stuff and then they put it on the windshield of a police car and i was just like oh my god <laughs> and i'm like oh great yeah so let's see if the cops submit uh poem 16 <laughs> lines or less it might, um, it might be taking it like, a little far yeah, yeah yeah and i think i said as a joke on that episode i'm like you know like paste this all over town put it on poles putting them on police cars da-da-da-da-da-da. And I was kind of joking, obviously, um, but he did it. So look at that. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, but uh, I don't know if you heard the law. Yeah. You know, I I wasn't even there. 
you know, the whole thing. It wasn't even that. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> um, I, I get all shaggy on him. No, but, um, you know, uh, I just did an episode about, um, like, kind of going after uh, editors. And because of a lit mag piece about, um, like, how hard it is to have a magazine. And I just thought it was the most, like, elitist um privileged piece of crap in the world and so i did the article or i did the podcast and then i went back to get the link to add the link to the show notes and stumbled in the comments and so there were all these people going oh i'm so glad you talked about this it's so good to know really like the ins and outs of things and then a couple people were like no like this is ridiculous like you like just saying some stuff. And so I said some stuff and then this um, woman came back and she's like, I really love how all these people complain about how magazines are made and then they don't do anything about it. And like, you know, why don't you go out and make your own magazine? I'm like, Oh, I do. Why don't you come on my podcast and debate me on this and all this stuff. (laughs) And she's like, okay. So like we emailed back and forth and I haven't heard back from her. So I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm getting, tired of being angry about everything but i've realized especially on um that article and doing that last episode i did um that like it's not even the same thing like we're not what i do and what like the lit mag journal world does they're completely different and it's been decades of standards of how these things work and so no one has ever tried to do anything different. And so like, you can't really get mad at like, like since we were just talking about pets, like you can't get mad at a dog the first time you bring it home and it pisses in the house because it doesn't know not to piss in the house yet until you tell them don't piss in the fucking house. You know what I'm saying? A literary magazines, puppies. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Right. (laughs) Let me, let me back up. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Let me back up a second and okay. um, give people a sense of how many things you work on because people won't necessarily know um, some of the things we're referring to. So besides the YouTube channel that you mm-hmm. have and the podcast, mm-hmm. what are you currently working on? Um, well, um, I have um, my book, um, Winner, Your Mom Sodomy Prize for Poetry, is coming out in the middle of june um i have this split chat book i did with bunny wild that's out right now my next chat book extra extra comes out june 1st then the um, one year anniversary issue of the blood rag which is a one sheet um, broadside um poetry zine that has uh, usually in between six and nine poets in it um this comes out every month so uh, issue 12 comes out next month and then next month is also the um, debut issue of the bloodshed review which is um my literary journal and um and then i do um the anarchy crew we do like um like workshops and stuff like that on youtube and um i put out like anthologies of 
their work. Um, and volume four will come out later this year. I'm starting to put out other people's work. Um, last year I did a ebook for bunny wild, um, called monsters in the mouth, which is on Amazon. And then, um, she did a, uh, chat book called the potato manifesto. And, um, so every like bloodshed review has, um, uh, is going to have a chat book insert of a featured poet that we're doing. And that's going to be monthly. And, um, I put out a chat book every month of my stuff and yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Does that seem like a lot to you? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it totally seems like, oh, and Project Broadside comes out next month too, which is a portfolio of a bunch of broadsides from different poets. I'm putting that out too. So, What happens in your life when you try to slow down? I completely lose my mind. Same. Like, I feel like I'm going crazy and um, I just start doing bad things more, you know, like just like kind of tumbling down the thing actually this sounds really overwhelming now that you just made me list off everything in order i, I like suspected that, that might happen yeah yeah because like this right here i have all of these here these with the exception of this one these are all my chat books that i've been holding up like last. probably it's about 40 yeah books there and then out of my book books like i have that guy that i showed you earlier and then fingering the mundane and the end of everything are my other um paperback um collections and this one's like 300 pages you know and i know everyone hates long poetry books but yeah i've been doing this like this for about 10 years probably right what strikes me most about it is like you're not it's not as if you're just putting out your own stuff you are putting out a lot of your own work but you're also mm. doing a lot of stuff to support other people's writing especially through the workshops and stuff like that yeah um how long has money been connected to it was it always a way of making money um i started a record label in high school and um would put on shows um for the bands on the label and basically i would i had a little um toscam four track recorder and i would record bands and um this was kind of fucked up but this was me as a kid not knowing anything but i would charge them like 25 bucks to record their album and then i would take it to this place that would make me like 100 tapes for 40 bucks and go to Kinko's and make the little J card inserts for the tapes. <clears throat> and then I would sell the tapes. I would put out little compilation tapes and all this other stuff and then put shows on wherever clubs I could get all the bands in. But the problem was a lot of the people didn't um, have full bands. And so I was like putting bands together with these people. And so on a lot of these shows, like one band, I would play guitar in the next band. I'd play drums in the next band. I'd play bass in and the next band would be my band and I'd sing or whatever like that. And that is how like I made money in high school and then um, that and like panhandling. So, and then I would go to shows that my bands weren't playing on 
and make zines of the bands we were watching. So like I would go and take pictures of like a little disposable camera, try to interview them with like a little like recorder, like a little tape recorder, go to spend all night at Kinko's making copies of a zine and then take that in my backpack to the next show and sell a bunch of copies outside to get enough money to go into the show to be able to take pictures of the bands and do all the stuff all over again. You know? Wow. So you, you've basically been supporting yourself with your art for many years now, like since you were in high school. Yeah. I mean, I've had um, a plethora of jobs that I don't hold for very long, but um, yeah, I mean, the last, since like probably 2008, I haven't really um, worked a steady job. The answer to this might be obvious then, but I wanted to bring up the fact that when I put out that interview with um, Paul Kane, who was this American academic who had written about Australian literature, he said that one of the beauties of poetry is that there's no money in it. And you wrote mm -hmm. to me challenging this. So I wanted to get <laughs> you I wanted to get you to talk about why mm. that bothered you so much. Because it's perpetuating a lie that makes people think that, oh well, if this guy says there's no money in poetry, that means that obviously I can't make any money in poetry. So I should just be grateful for whatever is given to me. It's the same reason why I hate when um, literary magazines try to normalize paying submission fees when poetry is really the only type of literature that people try to charge submission fees for. You know what I'm saying? It's in the, like trying to make up reasons why this is normalized and this is okay. It tells people that they will never be able to do that thing. And in your case, you do make money from your chapbooks, yeah. from the workshops. Yeah. Like there's, don't, there's like a list of stuff. Do you want me to go through that? Sure. Yeah. Do it. Okay. So, um, do the chat books. I have eBooks on Amazon. I have paperback books on Amazon. I have um, the YouTube channel I, that I get ad revenue from. I have memberships on my YouTube channel that um, do really well. Um, I do mentorship. That's like one-on-one -on -one, an hour, like counseling thing or whatever, trying to help someone plan a book launch or plan their career, um, things of that nature. Oh, on my websites, I have a couple other websites that are um, like niche-based websites that have like either um, short stories on or things like that, that I have ad revenue on. So um, like Google AdSense kind of thing. So I get stuff from that. I use Amazon affiliate links. So when somebody clicks my links to go to Amazon, if in the next six days they buy a Rolex or a refrigerator, I get a commission from that. Let's see. Oh, um, music publishing. Um, I get, um, I usually get enough from like my music every month to like pay a bill. So that's kind of cool. So I like that. And then I get um, two checks a year that's basically like royalties from the film stuff that I did, but those are pretty much drying out now. Um, most movies only have like a seven year shelf life. I sell stuff on eBay um, when I get around to doing that. That usually ends up being the thing that I put off the most. 
So yeah, there's stuff like that. But the thing that I'm really excited about and feeling really good about is that um, this year is going to be the first year where my individual poetry, if everything moves the way it should be moving based on prior months and all that stuff, should be the first time that my poetry itself is the thing that like takes care of all my stuff. And then everything else I do is just like gravy. So um, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, that's, about that's that. phenomenal. That's I can't think of anybody else I know who's in that position. I found this quote in this review of Brad Lighthouse's book, Rhymes Rooms, which is just published on Literary Matters. The bartering between poet and reader is less like something taking place at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange than what goes on in a weekend singles bar. Money mm -hmm. isn't the chief mode or object of commerce. It's affection, a hunger for love or something approximating love. I suspect you would strongly disagree <laughs> with that statement um, given everything you've just said. Yes and no, but I think you need to have that love and that affection because that's what brings people back. You know, like that's building true fans. And this is the thing that trips me out when I talk to other poets, when I talk about like, oh, like your fan base, building true fans, putting your mailing list together. And like, everyone's like fan base, like fan base, like, like what's that? And it's like, like, how are you, it's just a, a concept that I don't understand. Like, why are you writing books and putting out books and doing whatever you're doing getting your stuff in magazines if you are completely shocked by the fact that someone would follow you and want to get everything you put out you know what i'm saying yeah no and it's and it sort of comes back to what we we're talking about at the start with that cats. reluctance to with cats <laughs> and the reluctance to promote ourselves so mm -hmm. listening to you talk about that i was thinking well i really don't think in terms of fans, um, in terms of my writing. And it is that really kind of, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's not a flattering um, way of thinking when I sort of put it this way, but it's like, yeah, I want to get into journal A so I can get into journal B, C, and kind of keep climbing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I suppose it is about the resume building for me. Yeah. And I don't feel great admitting that to you because you have such a completely different approach, but I suppose it's sort of like you said at the start, like we're totally doing totally different things. We're sort of talking across purposes to a large degree, but I don't necessarily think that like just publishing in a journal so you can get into the next journal is great for poetry. Mm-hmm. Like I think, well, like, like, what's the right. purpose of doing that? Yeah, what's the purpose? Exactly. What is what is the purpose? This is what I'm turning over in my mind now, Matt. <laughs> like, <laughs> what am I? What am I actually doing? Um, well, like you're doing great. Like, in fact, like you just got something in literary matters. Let's talk about that for a hot minute. Oh, uh, I don't know. No, there's a connection here because you read that poem on my show. It's true. Yeah. I read, so, yeah, you got me to read a poem that I didn't feel like was finished. And then, um, 
Matthew heard it and he liked it and now it's my first US publication and I'm very Look, honestly, that's awesome. It's pretty it's pretty um it's a pretty huge relief to me and I wonder if you relate to this at all. I get to point sometimes with the work that we're doing right now where I'm like I think I'm just a podcaster. Like I don't know if I'm a poet anymore. And so having something like that happen, it's like, oh, no, it's okay. Like I can still write and I can still get published. Yeah. Do you ever feel like the, the ancillary stuff like takes over from the actual writing? I feel like the um, Anarchy Crew stuff I do takes, and that's like my members thing on YouTube. Um, I feel like that kind of takes up a lot of my time and keeps me from writing as much as I was writing before but like like if I didn't write anymore I have enough stuff for chapbooks up through next January that are already planned and then probably more poems there's probably another couple hundred 300 poems on top of that that aren't categorized by theme or anything like that um so like I don't mind like taking it slow and like not writing as much because I'm working with other people with their stuff, if that makes sense. But it, it does, it hits me that like, I'm like, good God. Like, cause I keep spreadsheets of everything and I look at how, um, how much stuff I was doing two years ago, like in the month of May, like what, what was my output? What were my releases? Um, and then like last year's May and look at it. And then this year's May and I'm just like, fuck, like I didn't do nearly as much as like I normally would do, but I have more releases this month and next month. So, um, but yeah, like I, I get that. Yeah. But I mean, what you're describing with the Anarchy Crew sounds to me like a fairly time intensive and maybe even intimate relationship. Yeah. I can imagine like, that takes it's, a lot of energy. It's like I try to do like just video lessons every week. Like there's over 150 videos up there. And um, then we do a live stream once a week. And then we do a writing Zoom once a week where we um, I give them writing prompts. And then we do like like five minute writing sprints, 10 minute writing sprints. And then we all read like what we're writing and stuff like that. And your approach to writing is another thing that I want to sort of draw out. Mm -hmm. Why is it so important to you to be so direct, this sort of bleeding onto the page, as you've put it, approach? Mm -hmm. Why does that matter so much? Because if that's not how you're doing it, you're, you're faking it. It's, it's pretending to be something you're not. Uh -huh. I don't know. Like, I think um, being honest and vulnerable is kind of what poetry is all about. Like being like your most stripped down self. Is it possible to say too much? I don't know. It depends on who's listening. Like who's reading your shit. Like if you're sending a poem to your mom, you don't want to talk about like the last time you had anal sex or something like that, you know? That's why you have to put out a lot of stuff. So if mom's really going to go looking for it, she has to really dig. 
<laughs> You've you got know, to make, bury, make her like <laughs> bury the bury the honesty in a just an avalanche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For real, for real. I don't know. Like, um, I I feel like the only people who would say like you showed too much are the people who wouldn't want to read your shit anyway. You know, like. And that's fine. Like, I know I'm not for everybody, just like there's other poets out there who aren't for me. You know what I'm saying? And some people like how open and vulnerable I am. And other people find it either off-putting or feel like they just, like, walked in on me while I was pulling my pants up. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's like a to-each-his-own thing, I think. Mm. Coming back to the audience question you said to me over email that poets are too comfortable with just having an audience of other poets why yeah. do you think that poetry has ended up that way because i think it's pretty hard to disagree with you there poetry's audience is mostly other poets yeah um and i think this kind of comes just from all the other mediums i've worked in where is like if you are a fiction writer having other fiction writers be your only fans is going to be shit because they're not going to buy your books if you're in a band and the only other fans of your band are people in other bands they're not going to buy your albums they're going to want to trade for them or something like that you know what i'm saying and if poets, and this is the problem with poets, is that most people find poets like complete douchebags, you know, like just complete and utter nerdy, douchey people. So <laughs> they don't they, hang on a second. What, no, what no, 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 no. Hear that? me out. Hear me out. <laughs> so like they don't have like the like super cool, like ooh, edgy, like, oh dude, you're a poet. Oh shit. Like tell me more. And so it's like, yeah, I'm in a fucking death metal band oh, wow, that's crazy. You know, it's like it doesn't have the same gravitas as something else. Even if you said, like, um, I'm a romance writer, you know? Like, I feel like, and this is so sad, I feel like romance writers and erotica writers have more street cred than poets. Uh, no, I don't think so. Especially especially <clears throat> right now. And I, I really am convinced of this, Matt. I think that poetry's got a weird glamour about it at the moment. Oh, well, yeah how do I say this without just sounding like I'm attacking it? Cause I really think it's cool. But um, the Instagram poetry, like the influencer poetry that has like a super cool, like ring to it and everything like that. But I still think that for the most part, like 95% of the poetry world would like, okay, this is awful because I think you're cool as shit, but like, do you consider yourself a cool, badass motherfucker? <laughs> uh no i'm in bed by 9 30 with a heated blanket and my copy of helen garner so no okay okay <laughs> but like what i'm getting at is like most people in other forms of arts like they won't stop until everyone in the room knows that they're an actor and a sculptor a painter in a band um whatever but for some reason the poets don't want to fucking say like, hey, I'm a poet. You know, it's like they're not running around telling everybody, hey, I wrote a poem. Look at it. No, I know. You're, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I wonder if maybe there's like a, an American Australian thing here again where it's like 
we tend not to promote ourselves sort of no matter what we're doing. But I mm -hmm. do think that anybody who writes poetry possibly does try to keep that to themselves to a large degree. Yeah. And it could be because it is very vulnerable. Or it could be that it has a stigma of being douchey. So, or both. Probably both. I think it's probably yeah. both. Yeah. So that's something that has to, to me, like end. Like, like when you think of like, who was the last like rock star poet you could think of that's Eileen not Miles. the poet? Eileen Miles. Absolutely. Eileen Miles. I got to see them read in New York. Got to see them read here. Like, yeah, talk about a fucking rock star. Like, mm -hmm. just in in their person, in their delivery, the poetry that they write, like, that's a rock star in our lifetime, no mm -hmm. question. But that's really, if I was trying to give you another example, well, I mean, there are, there are poets here who I, I would probably think of in that way, who sort of make me slightly weak at the knees. But, um, yeah. but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. that's my personal thing. But I think Eileen Miles is, is an example of that. Uh, I just, to yeah. me, it seems like the 1970s was the last time where there was like a plethora of like poets that people would like think were like worth a damn. And can go to big readings and see them. Perform. Yeah. So, yeah. And like, I don't know if it was that dude that killed the whole thing. Um, what was that dude's name? The, funny the guy, guy who killed poetry. Yeah. It could be anybody, but the guy who like everyone's mom read him and like people got pregnant, like listening to him. Yeah. The guy that, um, that, that Slate did that episode about. McEwen um, or something like that. Rod, Is that his name? Rod McEwen. I think that's his name. Maybe he was the one who killed poetry. I don't know. Maybe. But like, if you go back through, <laughs> if you go back through all the confessional poets and like um, down to like the New York and then the beats and then the modernists and then even before that, like it seemed like there were always like a handful of like these really like popular poets. You well, know I guess, I guess, you know, I've seen posters up around town for Rupi Kaur's world tour. And I guess probably Damn. she's our, yeah. she's our rock star and Amanda Gorman too, probably. And this is the yeah, funny thing star. because like, um, I really feel that like the future is going to have a much more, um, open arms love for people like Rupi and, um, the Instagram scene and the whole thing. Like, I think it's going to be looked at a lot more fondly than it is right now. Yeah. Well, there is something in it that I think connects to what you're talking about with vulnerability bleeding onto the page, mm -hmm. that sort of approach. And if, if we are moving into a world, not to bring up a totally third rail issue, but if we are moving into a world where the kind of poetry that has been admired for a while, like the John Ashbury type of work can be just mm -hmm. generated by a computer. <laughs> yeah. Then all you can really do is bleed onto the page. Mm -hmm. And that's. Well, I think, real. I think the, like the problem I have with most Insta poetry is um, it doesn't seem to have a voice. 
like it's the same voice in every single thing you find on instagram yeah i think that's really true but that might be a, a site like a space issue even i don't know yeah it could be mm. but the other thing about that is is like i know a lot of people like most of the poems i see on instagram like if they're in the little picture with like a i don't know like a hummingbird or a butterfly or something in the thing it's like three or four scroll throughs you know it's not just like four lines that say like i'm sad and i feel like you can do more with that than most people are I guess. it's a good point actually because at the moment it's just being treated as if those images are pages in a book but they don't have to be do they all right, Instapoets, what are you what are you gonna do with your new technology? Bring it on. Yeah, seriously. Like <laughs> make it happen. Make like it happen. the the whole um I don't know. Like I really feel like and this is gonna sound stupid, and I already have gotten in arguments with people about this, but the whole AI thing and poetry. I said the people who need to worry are the formalists because as soon as they figure out all the different meters and like like line patterns and all the stuff that they need to do, the formalist's going to have to actually say something worth a damn instead of just worrying about if they're following their fucking meter properly. And I got a bunch of shit about that. The thing <laughs> is, everyone's like, oh, the free verse stuff, that's so easy to do. And it's really hard for like AI to be able to do more than just like a like a quatrain and an ABAB kind of thing and all this other stuff. And I get that. But the problem is, is the fact that AI is not good at doing something. That means the people who work on stuff are going to work on it to make sure it can do that stuff. Like that's where the focus is going to be to try to make the thing it can't do the thing it can do. Well, look, I hope it's not going to be like breaking its neck, trying to figure out how to write an Insta poem you know what i'm saying <laughs> well no i mean i just i mm, i just wonder whether any anyone at google would bother being like this petrarchan sonnet just sound it doesn't quite sound right i think we need to work on this for another couple of weeks like i think if anything it would just be like a, a byproduct they're already i just i just they're don't think they care it. i just don't think they care <laughs> enough um yeah I feel I'm getting the feeling talking to you and, and maybe this is just the mood you're in today, but yeah, I'm spicy, spicy. No, no. I was yeah. actually going to say the opposite. You said oh, at the start, I'm like sad and you, you're sick of feeling angry. Oh I'm yeah. Really... It just, it takes a lot out of me. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm, whether it's me who has done it to myself or it's happened through whatever i feel like i'm the person who's yelling at people for other people on other people's behalf right yeah and it's like if that's what it is that's fine it's just i'm getting kind of tired because at the end of the day the people who like argue points with me will never change their mind like they are like so set in their ways that it's just like this is life and this is how everything is. It's like, fine, do you, I don't give a shit. It doesn't fucking mean like I'm not getting my poetry out there. It doesn't mean I'm having a hard time getting published. It doesn't mean people aren't reading my stuff. So do whatever the fuck it is you're doing 
and continue to put your stuff out where no one reads it and no one gives a shit. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> See, and that that so me trying to like act like I don't care anymore turned into an attack, and I didn't even mean for it to come out like that. Jesus fucking Christ! <laughs> so you definitely are angry, and at the it, same time, it pisses I... me off. Like here's here's a good example. Um, my like just something that I hear that just drives me absolutely fucking crazy. Like, um, on our good friends show oh, that no. he just put out. Oh no. Him and um Alexis were having the same talk they had the last time she was on about um if if someone puts out a book like in less than seven year increments, it's gotta be shit, right? Like that whole fucking thing again. And it's like if you guys need to say that thing. And I'm not saying this to Matt. I'm just saying like in general, like if that is the mindset that everybody has, that is a mindset that was put on people by other people who thought that because that was put on them by other people who thought that. Mm. Well, I mean, and, you're, you're, you take a completely different approach to that, right? And you do that because you are making money off it. And also you you love to write, you love to work. Mm -hmm. um, your particular approach is to be very direct and honest and not to fiddle with the result much at all. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it really is like what you were just describing before, like they're over there taking a, their time and you're over here making a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I, I think you can both I think you can coexist. But see, here, here's the thing. Like, I don't give a shit what they're doing over there. They could fucking take 18 fucking years to write a couplet. I don't give a fucking shit. But do you think but the they're fact worried that about they what spend, you're doing? I don't know if they're worried about it, but they spend enough time talking about, like, what the fuck's that? Like, who fucking cares? Do whatever the fuck you want to do. And then the argument is, well, you're ruining poetry. And I'm like, well, maybe if you put something out more than every fucking seven years, you would have enough stuff out there to show me that I'm ruining fucking poetry. Hang on, hang on. Who who thinks you're ruining poetry? <laughs> no, the idea that, like, even, like, in your last episode, like, when you were talking about, um, like, they were going to do a poetry reading at a yoga studio. And oh, you're yeah. like, well, well, that's got to be shit, right? <laughs> or like that whole, that, that it's like the thing that people just assume right out of the gate. And it's like, why? Like, I, why well, does I it did, have to be yeah, like that? I did question myself up because I was obviously being fairly um, judgmental about that. You yeah, were being like, good. It's all right. <laughs> like, it's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, um. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. And I also don't, I don't disagree with taking a good decade to write your next book. I think it's all legitimate. These are all, these are all legitimate approaches. And I don't think they threaten each other. Mm -hmm. um, no, because like the yeah. people who will read formal poetry most likely will not read my stuff. And the people who read my stuff will probably most definitely not read formal poetry. Mm. It's like two completely different audiences. Yeah, completely different audiences. I mean, it's it's also the same um, place that you end up having to land when you talk about Insta poetry versus poetry in journals. You know, it's just yeah. like they're just talking to completely different people. And, and so 
um, standing on one side and being like, oh, look at those guys. They're, they're ruining it for us. It's like, no. But that's something else that's come up, though, too, isn't it? That most journals don't do formal poetry anymore or very seldom. Uh, how do you mean? I'm a bit lost now. Like there were um, big magazines that used to publish formal poetry at a great pace. And mm. now they really don't. Well, yeah, and then this is probably not my not my area. Um, mm -hmm. Not not being. Um... Quit defending them, Alice. <laughs> I I'm a free verse fuck up, so I don't really know what I'm talking about here. But an, and and an Australian, and I think I'm probably straying into a very much American territory. My understanding is that it is a little tricky to get a poem in meter and rhyme published in the US. Mm -hmm. I don't actually think it's really probably that hard over here. I think you'd probably be fine. Um, uh, part of that is as, as Clive James rightly pointed out, um, editors possibly wouldn't even notice sometimes. <laughs> sometimes they absolutely would. And they'd be like, that's great. And I'm I've lovely. actually said, I'm like, um, I guess it was just in an email to somebody, but somebody asked if like I take formal poetry for like the blood rag and I'm like, as long as I don't know it's formal poetry, like that's fine. Just well, don't I can do, tell you, I can tell you <clears> don't sure do your simple you rhyming stuff. Cause I'm sure you. Matt's has, right? Ah, uh, yeah. It's fucking perfect. Perfect. Beautiful. Scary. Good. Sorry, Matthew, just skip forward about a minute. Cause I'm <laughs> giving you a compliment here. Well, well, I'm going to critique your work, so skip two minutes. No, just fucking <laughs> no, we're kidding. We're kidding. Gosh, how do we land this plane? Um, um, rhyming. No, 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 no. I don't. I yeah. no. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's not. I I want to keep kind of coming back yeah. to this thing of like the anger, but also being tired of being angry. How much is the person on your show? A character. A character? Like, yeah. like a, like a, like a persona kind of thing? Like, yeah, like a, a phony baloney dude? Um, not phony not necessarily, but I've, I find for me that I sort of do have to be, I have to sort of like perform a little bit. Um, and when I listen oh, back, I I'm sort saying. of like, oh, that's not really who, who I am in real life. Um, I would say very little like the episodes when I'm speaking very quickly and cussing a lot and yelling, that's probably really close to who I am because it's like no filter and I'm just like going. I was and... hoping you were going to say the opposite. <laughs> I know it's awful, but I don't script my shows or have anything like that. I'll just have like, I'm going to do my show right now. So I hit record and then I yell until i see that i've been talking for 45 minutes mm. and, and you're currently putting out an episode about every four days which is which is mm. a lot yeah i was trying to do two a week and um my, the idea with that was was i was going to do one where i would talk about something and one where i would do an interview mm. and things of that nature and i just haven't lined up all my interviews that i want to do yet right, so right. um but yeah so again like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Like the more you're seen, the more you're heard. You know what I'm saying? Mm, I think so. Uh, no, I don't think that's right. 
Here's a better here's a better question to end on. What is the one thing that you would have more poets do? What is the what is the dial to go up or down to change things for mm. the better? Because it does it does sound like overall, you know, you're you you have a, an optimistic outlook, but there's also a lot of rage in the optimism. So what would you yeah. change? I would say um, for poets to not depend on other people to put their stuff out and either put their own stuff out as frequently as possible or start their own zine or their own little literary journal or whatever and start finding the poets that they actually like and start promoting those poets. So more people are being kind of smacked in the face with poetry and just don't be ashamed of it like own it and fucking yell about it Mm. you know and if you're only it's like that whole thing like if you're in a well-lit room and you light a candle who gives a shit but if you're out in the dark and you light a candle you could see where you're going you know what i'm saying so if you're only around other poets going hey i'm a poet like who gives a shit like everyone else in the room's a fucking poet like go out in the dark tell everyone you're a fucking poet light some fucking candles light a bush on fire you know do your whole thing light a bush on fire boom <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great you know it's funny like i sometimes um when i've been listening to your show i kind of get in this like i get really head up and get into this kind of mindset where i'm like fuck it i'll make a book no fuck i'll make a zine like I'll, I'll start a journal. Fuck it. <laughs> do I, it. Then I stop listening. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm like, uh, we've talked about this at the beginning. Like, I'm a bad influence. So, like. You definitely are. Yeah. When I was your little princess. So I'll try to do the same thing with the outro here and not edit any of it. I'd be really surprised if everyone who listened to that just nodded and clapped politely. I would expect that there would be elements of that which you strongly disagree with one way or another. But whether you agree or disagree, uh, I hope you're not riled to the point where it interrupts your day. That happens to me sometimes, and and I hope it's not it's not happening to you. I don't think it will. I don't think that there's anything like super super outrageous in there. The thing that really struck me listening back to that was, you know, I knew this before, but just listening back to it as a whole, I was thinking about how much work Matt is doing for other poets, and he sent me a copy of the first issue of the Bloodshed Review and some photos of the second issue and they're bloody great like they look they look fantastic and there's a huge amount of work in them and yeah it it looks like some pretty serious money behind them as well i do want to just come back to this question of disagreement because after my episode last week a number of people got in touch about that last question that i posed about whether it would actually be good to have more disagreement in 
poetry in general in poetry in Australia. And it was interesting because everybody who got in touch said some version of there is still disagreement in Australian poetry. It just happens in less overt ways. So it's just not as visible as it was before. I thought that was very interesting. When Matt interviewed me for his show, he's a really good interviewer, um, part of our conversation that didn't end up making it to the final cut was about this question of disagreement and what to do when you really strongly disagree with someone, whether it is worth it to pick that conversation up in some other way and, um, yeah, continue the conversation. If I'm honest, all the poetry podcasts that I currently listen to, Matt's show, Elijah's show, Versecraft, and Slee Ricketts, uh, I basically can't go through a week of listening to these shows without fundamentally disagreeing with something on at least one of these shows. I just wanted to sidebar here just for a second and just recommend um, very, very strongly Matthew's interview with Shane McRae over on Slee Ricketts, which is, I think the first part is on the main feed and then there are two parts on the Secret Show feed, which you can access for free for a week. And I don't think it costs very much to actually subscribe. Um, it's, it's a fucking fantastic interview. And, you know, I've been trying to screw up the courage to say to Shane, hey, can I interview you when I come to the US? But then I listened to Matthew's interview and I'm like, this is a definitive Shane McRae interview. <laughs> like, we don't need another one. <laughs> this is the best. Anyway, so that's just a, a sidebar recommendation. But coming back to yeah, disagreement, listening to these various poetry shows. On the one hand, I think this is a really good thing to have these points of disagreement because I'll listen to these shows and I'll think, that's totally wrong what you just said. But then I have to think it through and decide why do I disagree so strongly? What do I actually think? And I was never challenged to figure out what I actually thought back when I was listening to Curtis Fox on Poetry Off the Shelf, much as I love Curtis Fox, I just, I never felt like he was, um, he was challenging me to come to my own conclusion about something. What I don't tend to do is get into it with anyone, with any, with, with any person, <laughs> because I personally, I have to take a live and let live approach to life. It just takes it out of me so much to argue with people. I take things really personally. I get really hurt. Um, I can never approach things as a purely intellectual exercise. And I feel that a lot of the time um, the conversations that are going on there, there's a sense that everybody is just kind of like, oh, well, we can go back and forth on this because it, these are just facts, you know, and, and I don't feel that way. So, yeah, I, I do also think that a lot of the time with these disagreements, you can just live and let live. So as I think I said in that interview with Matt, 
him writing and publishing first drafts and and putting out all this work isn't any kind of threat to someone like Matthew who will spend many, many months or maybe years on a poem. Those two things seem like they can pretty comfortably exist alongside each other. I, as usual, I fall somewhere in between. What I'm trying to do now, and this is a little bit um, to do with Matt's influence, I think, is I'm trying to recognize when a first draft has something that I shouldn't be fiddling with. If it has a spark that I need to just um, leave some space around. And I'm also trying to look at some of those first drafts with a lot of detachment and to admit sometimes that this thing has no spark and needs to be abandoned. And the way I think of those poems is these are the poems that are getting me to the next poems. So the original is still there. It's just kind of like a foundation stone, like there's no evidence of it above ground. So to, to answer the question that these listeners have been asking me after the last episode, do I want more disagreement in Australian poetry? I think personally, I come down on the side of no, I don't. But then I, I sort of thought a little bit beyond that and I thought, well, well, why is that? I think above all, what you need to have disagreement that's productive and useful and actually gets you somewhere is trust. And I don't trust very easily at all. I did get to have a conversation with Matthew the other week, which may or may not make it onto the show about men and women and some pretty big uh, issues in that area. And yeah, we, I would say that we, we disagreed pretty strongly in some places. I know Matthew well enough now that I actually do trust him. So I felt like I could have that conversation and I felt like it was a good conversation, um, whether or not it ever makes it to the internet is, you know, totally up to him and, and I trust him to make that call. I wonder whether there is trust enough across the poetry community to disagree outright about important things that people really care about and for that to be a productive thing. I keep using the word productive, which I don't love. Um, something that moves things forward is, is what I mean when I say that. Can we disagree outright and know that we still care about the same things and we still care about each other? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's another open question. The 